so, um, you know, for the last number of months, and really for the last year or so, I haven't been giving many talks, formal talks, at this group. Um, I've had, uh, I've been more interested in being more interactive and doing, I like to do questions or make up talks together based on the themes you want to hear about. And it really helps me a lot. It helps me kind of know what's going on with people, especially as the group's gotten bigger. Um, but one of the, what, uh, in one of the questions and answers, somebody raised their hand, and I don't know if they're here tonight or not, and wanted to know how come there were all these lists in Buddhism. And there are a lot of lists in Buddhism. The Buddha was a big list maker. You know, the Four Noble Truths and the Three Characteristics and the Five Hindrances and the Seven Factors of Enlightenment and the Eightfold Path and the Twelve Links of Dependent Origination and the Hundred and Eight Delusions. And, you know, there's a lot of lists. So, um, and I, you know, I, and they said, do you, have to, do you have to know the list to be a Buddhist or to practice? And, of course, the answer is no and yes. Both. Right? You don't really need you don't really need to know the list, but the list can be very helpful. So I thought, oh, maybe I should maybe it'd be a good time to teach a list. And so last week I started teaching about the Eightfold Noble Path. And I didn't actually go into detail about the path last week, but more I was talking about an overview of the a path, getting a look at why a path is helpful, why it's skillful, um, what does it mean to enter a path, how, how, do, how, do, how does a path come about, right? It means that other people have already walked in that terrain and cleared it out in some way for us. How did the, how did the Buddha understand the path which he understood it as a rediscovery. It wasn't something he made up. It wasn't even something that was first time, that it was a path that had always been taught by the Buddhas, but that it gets, it gets forgotten uh, during certain periods of time and then rediscovered and retaught. And, and to talk about the path, um, uh, um, we need to talk about the different steps of the path, or the different limbs of the path. And the different limbs are right view, also known as right understanding, right intention, um, right um, action, right speech, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. These are the areas that are highlighted in the path for us to pay attention to. And they're highlighted because the Buddha thought, this is really important. This is really valuable. This is what the Buddhas taught as the path to awakening. And then the other thing that I mentioned that it's, I, I think, important just to say again is about the word right, right view or right understanding, is not a big moralistic right or wrong. But, and there's different ways to think about it. There's right could be translated instead, the word is sama in Pali, and it could be translated as right, or it can be translated as authentic, or it could be translated as beneficial, or wise, wise understanding, or, or beneficial understanding. 
Um, but personally, I like to use the word right, and so I'll, I'll use it. And you can translate the word right in whatever way works for you. But one of the dictionary definitions that I appreciate very much is right meaning bringing into accordance with truth. Bringing into accordance with truth. And so right view means the view that brings us into accordance or alignment with the truth. And of course, truth means dharma. Or so right meaning the, the understanding that aligns us with the dharma the view or understanding that puts us into harmony with the truth or the dharma or the way things are. And you can use that for all the different uh, limbs of the path. So tonight I'd like to talk a little bit about right view or right understanding. And it's considered the beginning of the path. It's also part of the end of the path. And so it has, it has different dimensions or different levels, sometimes talked about as conventional right view and then ultimate right view. Or sometimes it's talked about as um, conceptual right view and then, or an experiential right view. And um, usually when we hear this, when we hear something like um, conventional and ultimate or conceptual and experiential, one tends to sound better than the other. Um, or we think, oh, we want to get to the ultimate. That's, that's where the action is. That's where it is. And it's true on some level. That's where a lot of action is. And we'll get there tonight. But they're both important. They're both very, very important. Both conventional and ultimate. Both conceptual and experiential. And you'll hear the talk, the talk will wander around a little because there's a lot of terrain when we start to look at views. And of course, the first thing you can do is just consider what view are you holding about right view? right? That generally we have views and either they're conscious or they're unconscious. And so part of the Buddhist path is to begin, part of the path of insight meditation is begin to make things conscious to see, oh, what do we have here? And we actually hold lots of views all the time. All the time. A lot of views. Have a lot of self-views, right? About who we are. And not just who we are, but how we rate ourselves. right? We have a view, we're good or we're bad or we're smart or we're dumb or we're good looking or we're not good looking. There's all this kind of, we have a lot of views and opinions about ourselves. Or we have a lot of views about other people, right? Who they are. How, how we're going to relate to them. Maybe we have some ideas or beliefs and views and opinions about what we're going to get from them or what they want from us or what the value of somebody is or something. And all of that is pretty normal, right? It's, this is not rocket science, right? Everybody has these kind of views and perceptions in that way. They're, they're not... Um, it's not exactly that, oh, they're all going to go away. But we want to at least begin to make our views conscious and then see how they might um, 
block or distort or veil reality. And you, you mostly see it when they get pierced. Like when you have this idea, this view of yourself, like, oh, I can't do that. Whatever the, the it is, you know, I can't, you know, write a paper, I can't do that job, or I can't ride 50 miles, or, or you know, or I can't, I'm somebody who can't be in relationship, or I'm this or that. And when it changes, when we see that it's just, that's an idea. It's a, it's a belief. It's something that's um, uh, uh, reified into this view of reality. And then when, when we act differently, we act outside of that self-view, we see, oh, this is just a view. It was just an idea. And now, one of the difficult things about views is that people act on views. The world is created by our view and then our intention and then our action is based on our view, ultimately. The Buddha, in, in one of the earliest suttas, said, he said, seeing misery in views and opinions, without adopting any, I found inner peace and freedom. One who is free does not hold to views or dispute opinions. For a sage, there is no higher, lower, or equal, no places in which the mind can stick. But those who grasp after views and opinions only wander about the world, annoying people. <laughs> so don't be one of those. <laughs> so the, we're just starting with just the idea of views and the idea that we can have views and we don't have to be bound by them. We can begin to hold them lightly. I mean, and you, I mean, we could just do a whole talk just on this level of view. I mean, for example, uh, I don't know how many people here, but a lot of people in the world had the view that America could not elect an African-American president, right? That was a really common view and opinion. And boom, it's gone in a moment, right? It happens and all of a sudden we see, oh, that's just an idea. And it's not just that the view, I don't mean to say the view is just uh, not based in certain reality, of course. It's based on the past, based on history, based on a lot of factors that make sense. And yet, it's not concrete. Every view Every idea is just that. It's a view, it's an idea, an opinion, a way of seeing things. And our vision can change. It's better, better clap there. Our vision can change in a moment. And most of our reality, we, we take it, all the ideas, all those views, all the ways we've been shaped, they're very strong, they're very real, they're, things happen and we see and we understand and we understand how things work. But if we're, if we're not open, if the mind is not open to the truth, really the truth of impermanence, that nothing is fixed in the whole world, in the whole universe, nothing is fixed, then we're going to go about 
the world to annoying people, like the Buddha says. <laughs> and there are a lot of people out there, right? I mean, if you just read the blogosphere, is that what they call it? The blogosphere? Yeah. Yeah. I try not to read it much, but people have a lot of views and opinions. And so you'll get a teaching like this in Buddhism from the Japanese Zen, where it said that the master, Nan In, uh, uh, received the university professor who came to inquire about Zen, and he served him tea, and he poured his visitor's cup full, and then kept on pouring. The professor watched the cup overflow until he could no longer restrain himself. It is over full, no more will go in. Like this cup, Nan Ying said, you are full of your own opinions, speculations, and views. How can I show you Zen unless you first empty your cup? So if I'm going to teach a little about right view now, you have to empty your cup a little bit. Okay. <clears throat> the Buddha, when he, he talked, he valued right view very much. And like any true Dharma teaching, if it's a true teaching, it'll lead, it can lead to the whole truth. And we could go in in many different ways. We could start talking about compassion and we could say, oh, com this, this, the whole Dharma is here. Or we could talk about mindfulness of the body and we can say the whole Dharma is here. Or we could say, take some other area of the teaching and go in that way and the whole dharma is there because these are different facets of the jewel of the dharma. And one of the facets is right view. Right view, you could work with right view for a day or a week or a year and it would open up the dharma tremendously because it's both, as was said, the beginning and the end of the path. The Buddha said, practitioners, just as the dawn is the forerunner and first indicator of the rising of the sun, so right view is the forerunner and first indication of skillful states. For one of right view, right intention springs up. For one of right intention, right speech springs up. For one of right speech, right action springs up. And then he goes, he's going through the path. After right action, right livelihood springs up. And with right livelihood, right effort springs up. And with right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration come up. And then he says, and for one of right concentration, right understanding springs up. And for one of right understanding, right deliverance springs up. And on this level, we're talking about right as one of the doorways to nobility, one of the doorways to freedom, one of the doorways to awakening. <clears throat> and so what is being suggested here is how we see, right, view, like ocean view, view means to see, how we see will condition our freedom. How we understand the Dharma will condition our awakening, and, and everything will follow from that. If we see things in a certain way, then we're going to start to incline the mind in a certain way. Our intention will intend or will aspire 
for certain things or certain actions or certain ways of being. And then as we, as we incline the mind in that direction, we'll act in that way. And based on that action, our life follows. And these are, these are principles that are already in play. And you can, you'll see them because if you have a wrong view, then you'll see the world in a certain way. You'll think that your actions need to be in a certain way and your, and your life will play out in that way to some extent. Now, wrong is not a moralistic right or wrong here. It's, it's r- right and wrong. And again, the Buddha was, I said this last week, he was very concerned with what's practical, what's pragmatic, what leads to suffering, what leads to freedom. What leads to suffering, what leads to freedom. He's very, very down to earth in this kind of teaching. <clears throat> so, um, so he talks about right view a few different ways. And the first ways he talks about this worldly right view or conventional right view. And that has to do with a few different things. One is to just to be un- begin to understand the, uh, the way the Dharma is offered, right? In terms of the path, in terms of what is skillful, in terms of how to engage our life so that we are happy. In other words, the Buddha says he understands very clearly that beings seek happiness. And he thinks that's a really good thing. It's said when he was enlightened, after his enlightenment, he didn't know whether he was going to teach or not. And so he, he's walking, doing his walking meditation, hanging out in bliss, basically. Very happy guy, very satisfied, no worries, having a good time. But he doesn't know whether to teach. And it's said that a, a Brahma god comes down and tells him, encourages him to teach the Dharma. And so he looks around with his now eye of wisdom, right? And with this eye, he looks around and he sees that beings are suffering and that beings are suffering in many, many different ways. But he's seen that they're suffering even though what they seek is happiness. And he sees, oh, they're not doing what would be helpful or skillful for their own happiness, even though that's what they seek. And now you could look around. You could look around with your eye of wisdom. It's actually not so far away. And you can look from a certain perspective and you can see actually everybody's doing what they're doing to try and be happy. If you look at the people you know, if you look at the whole world, even though the worst things that happen, people are doing what they're doing because they believe it will make them happy. Make them safe. Make their world the way they think it should be so they can be happy. You could look at even the wars that start, the racism that's here, the worst things. It's all because people have a distorted view of what will bring happiness. And so the first level of uh, right view is to see, well, what brings true happiness? What brings happiness and well-being? 
And the Buddha said, this is a very important part of worldly right view. And when he taught about this, he taught about it, he gave another list. For you people who like lists, here's one more. And the list is that there are three, three, three parts, three areas really important. And he called it Dana Sila Bhavana. Dana Sila Bhavana. And it's really about what's called merit in Buddhism. And merit is the accumulation of, of goodness, of blessing, and of happiness in this life. And he talked about happiness a number of different ways, but he talked about three things that really bring happiness. Dana, or generosity. Sila, or the, what's called the bliss of harmlessness, or the bliss of blamelessness. Better, better way for our terms tonight. The bliss of blamelessness. And then bhavana, which is cultivation of the mind and heart. And you know, we've talked about these in, in different ways at different times. Dana, if you're new to practice, means generosity. Um, but really, it, it, another way to think about it is a heart that's free and offers what we have, whatever it might be, whatever our offering is to the world and to the people of our world. And it could be our means or our time or our attention our, our skills, our gifts, our talents, our creativity, our physical work, our hard work, our labor, our joy, our sincerity. These are all part of dana, part of giving. And, you know, it's under, underrated in a certain way, even though it's talked about quite a lot in Buddhism. It's often, we still don't quite get it. The Buddha said if we really understood the, the blessing of dana, we wouldn't let a meal go by without feeding others. That's a radical understanding of dana. Or, you know, there are many ways that we can express our generosity in good works. And good works is kind of a Christian term. But I, I really like the term these days. And I think this group has done a lot of good works and knows a lot about the value of good works and the blessing of good works and the gift of good works. A little bit from all the work we've done in the, uh, with our sister song in South Africa. That it's been a beautiful blessing for us to be able to help or support in the ways that we have. Here's a quote from Chinese proverb. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. <laughs> Which is really a good idea. I recommend that highly. <laughs> if you want happiness for a day, go fishing. Okay, but do catch and release. <laughs> if you want happiness for a month, get married. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help others. So dana, sila, sila just means living an ethical life. 
that you know most of how we think of what what'll bring happiness is if we get what we want and uh, and the problem with that is that that works short term it generally works you know if you really want that chocolate and you get it you feel happy for about 10 minutes or you know the story that i like to tell is about my daughter who we when she was about 14 she had a thing for used clothes and so and i like to hang with my daughter and so if i wanted to hang out with her i had to go shopping with her and she found this place in san francisco called uh where they sold clothes by the pound so she would go in and get all the stuff and put it on the scale and weigh it and then i would pay for it and then we'd go home and then she would try on the clothes she might have been a little younger than i think by 13 she was didn't care what i thought um probably about 11 we could say and and she would then she would come out with a t-shirt and i'd say oh that's great and then she'd go back she'd come out with a little jacket and oh that's great and then she'd come out with some you know some boots and oh those are cool and then she'd come out with another t-shirt she had a lot of t-shirts and then you know and then she'd have these 12 or 14 pieces of clothes and then she'd be done and then she would be like can we go shopping again dad <laughs> cuz you know it just didn't last. it was fun for a while it was happy for a while and it didn't last so long and it's really true just about everything it lasts for a little bit it's nice it's good get as happy as you can be please and then see if it brings long term happiness see if it really brings the happiness you seek and keep being mindful of that yearning how deep that yearning for true happiness is because that's one of the great orienting uh factors in the dharma and the path I remember I said this last week right means like to right a ship also like to come back to center so one of the factors that'll help us if we keep orienting to to the depth of the happiness we seek because that depth that drive for happiness is really part of the drive for awakening the drive for enlightenment and we, and if we can stay connected to that if we can stay in touch with that that will keep riding our ship as we walk the path so dana sila is this the teachings of the what is sometimes called the bliss of blamelessness or the bliss of harmlessness and it's really living in in an ethical way in a way that is not harming of both self and others and you know integrity sometimes is not given a lot of uh, respect in our culture uh morality is not even a word people like virtue is a word that's not even used much i like the word very much and i like it because virtue comes from the same root as virility and both uh have a certain power to them and that's what's often misunderstood about integrity or virtue or morality is that it's a power and that it's powerful and we've seen it we've all seen it when we act outside of integrity and then when we come into some kind of real integrity with what we know is true and helpful and kind and and um good for people ourselves and others and we can start to feel the power of that 
And uh, uh, um, it's, it's not just an outer power, there's an inner power. Something in our soul relaxes. Something in our soul, uh, um, and I know we don't use that word much in Buddhism, but we could say something in our heart, something in our mind, whatever word works for you, really starts to feel at ease or at peace or at rest and in alignment with the truth, the truth of the way things are, that we live in a totally interconnected world and how we act has meaning to it. That we don't, we're not just here as, you know, independent gunslingers out of the American West. That's a total fantasy. That everything we do has consequences. And this is related to another level of right view, which is the understanding of karma. And it's a, this is a very important understanding of right view, which is the understanding that there's karma. That actions have consequences. And sometimes the consequences are hidden or don't appear for a long time. Sometimes they show up immediately. Instant karma, we used to say. But it's an understanding, it's, a, it's part of right view because we're starting to see the big picture of things. And we start, it's not just that our, our view is clouded by like this, where we're just involved with self-view. No, there's a bigger view we see, where we start to take in the whole picture, where our heart and mind begins to open, not just to ourselves, but to all beings, to the whole, to the whole show, to the whole catastrophe. And so now, now we're starting to open up to right view. And, and that leads also, one of, I'll just say the, a little bit about the other piece, which is bhavana, dana sila bhavana. Bhavana means that it's the training of the mind and heart. It's really the contemplative basket, which we'll go into when we do right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. <clears throat> but it's, um, uh, it's an important piece because um, uh, it's not just how we act, it's also, how do we keep refining our view? How do we keep deepening our understanding? If right view or right understanding is so key, how do we keep deepening it? One of the ways we deepen it is through our contemplation, and is through meditation, and is through learning the skills and the art of paying attention, moment by moment by moment, so we can recognize our mundane views, we can recognize our conventional views so we can hold them lightly, and so we can also start to see through the eyes of the Dharma, through the eyes of the Buddha. And we can start to see the Dharma both in ourselves and everywhere. And I was, I kept thinking, you know, I'm not, I, I, my, these are not my favorite talks to do list talks. It's one of the reasons why I don't do them so much, even though I think they're valuable to know the lists and they're helpful. And so I, I kept thinking, well, what do I want people to get? You know, what do I want, what would I like you to get by doing the right view talk or right understanding talk? And, you know, I thought of a bunch of different things. 
in terms of just the basics and especially karma and actions have consequences integrity is powerful things that I'm talking about but there's the, the, the deeper level for me is actually seeing with the eyes of Dharma sometimes it's called with the wisdom eye and with the wisdom eye means that we actually start to see the Dharma everywhere and by that I mean we, our understanding of the Dharma, right? Right understanding starts to permeate us in a way that, oh, actually we can see it. It's, it's here. It's always here. The Dharma is always here. All that is actually here is the Dharma. And we start to see it. And then the key, and the key part, and this is key when the Buddha talked about absolute um, right view or ultimate right view, is about liberation. And so all of these factors are important for setting the stage for liberating the heart and mind, for freeing us so that we can begin to see or live or know the Dharma. We can begin to uh, both realize the Dharma and actualize the Dharma, be becoming living vehicles or vessels as an expression of the Dharma. And so when the Buddha talked about this, again, he was very pragmatic, very succinct. He said, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. And you know, he, he knew a lot more. I may have said this last week, I'll say it again. One, one point he says, he picks up a handful of leaves in the forest. He says, are the leaves in my hand greater than the leaves in the trees? The monks and the nuns who are very smart say the leaves on the trees are greater, the leaves in your hand are smaller. He says, just so. What I understand is like the leaves on the trees in the forest. What I understand, what I know, what I see is like the leaves in the trees in the forest. What I teach is like the leaves in my hand. That I'm, I know a lot. He Basically, he's saying there's a lot that I know, but that's not important. Here's what's important. This is suffering, this is the cause of suffering, this is the end of suffering, this is the path that leads to the end of suffering. And so the key, the key factor leading to ultimate right view is the Four Noble Truths, is to begin to understand suffering, to let go of the causes of suffering, to realize, make real freedom from suffering and to cultivate a life that continues that process over and over and over and over again until there's nothing left to do. And so all of you all of us, really, all of us, have come to this path because we've had an intuition or an inkling or some insight into right view. We've seen suffering. There's nobody who comes, I don't believe there's anybody that comes to the Dharma I think the reason everybody comes to the Dharma is because of suffering. 
Now we've seen it in ourselves, we've experienced it in multiple ways, we've seen it and we see it in our world or in our families. It's part of the truth of human existence. And it's the, it's the beginning of the end of suffering. To see suffering is the beginning of the end of suffering. But the key is to walk the path that leads to the end of suffering. And so that path includes <clears throat> beginning to uh, see how valuable our giving is, our generosity is. To begin to see how powerful our uh, conduct is, our ethical uh, um, dimension of the, our being in the world is. That there is karma. And karma is very, very simple. It's not really abstract. It just means, you know, if you do things, you do certain things, it's not so great. If you chose to go, if you, if you would have, you, today, here's your, an example of karma. You made a choice. Karma means there's some free will. And you made a choice to come here. If you had gone and made a choice to rob a store, that would have been bad karma. <laughs> you might have gotten a lot of money in the short run. It would have made you happy in the short run. But something would have happened. It would have gone wrong. You would have got busted later. Or, you know, then all the money was gone. Then you got to go rob another store. And it's just... It's hard to relax when you're robbing stores. <laughs> it is. And, you know, if, and you need a certain modicum of relaxation just to meditate. So you wouldn't be able to meditate if you'd gone to rob the store. And, you know, be a drag. And, you know, and there's a lot of little things. We won't go into them. But, I mean, uh, you know, you can feel. It's a funny feeling if you really pay attention. There's a funny feeling in the heart, in the spirit, when, we're, when we do things that are even just a little bit. We know this is, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's not robbing a store. It's, you know, whatever it might be. You know, somebody left something, so, oh, great, I'm going to take it. You know, they, they're gone. They'll never find it. They'll never come back or, you know, or something, little things that we do. Maybe with our partners, you know, maybe we eat the last bit of whatever it is, even though we know they really like it, but they won't know we ate it because they thought it was already gone. And, you know, you can, <laughs> oh, yeah, see, the, the people who are giggling know this one, right? You know, and it's just... But, but it's really interesting to start to actually pay attention and live in that kind of way that's a little more awake. And let's see, where should we go here? Wow, I had so much talk here. It's a good thing I didn't follow any of it. <laughs> Karma. Oh, beautiful. Oh, here's a quote I want to read from Bhikkhu Bodhi. And he's talking about views. He says, views structure our perceptions, they order our values, and crystallize into the ideational framework through which we interpret to ourselves the meaning of our being in the world. He's, he's quite elegant. 
I'll say it again. Views structure our perceptions, they order our values, and crystallize into the ideational framework through which we interpret to ourselves the meaning of our being in the world. That's how important views are. They really, they, they, they shape our whole life. He says we want to see what our views, what views we hold. What views structure our perceptions? Actually, this is me talking, my own writing. We want to see what views we hold to. See, I don't often quote myself. See what views, see what views structure our perceptions and interpret our world. And so, in order to do that, that third leg of bhavana becomes very important to develop our capacity to see what kind of views we hold. And then to see, well, what is it we understand? What is our understanding? And when our understanding comes into alignment with the Dharma, it changes our whole life. The Buddha said, this committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. For seeing into things and understanding them. And it's beautiful, actually, when the mind begins to open and the heart begins to open, you actually can see into things. You can start to see clearly. You can really start to see with the, what's called the eye of wisdom. And it's a beautiful eye to see from. Because you can start to see people and you see their beauty and you see their, their radiance and you see their suffering and it's all there in the same place. Or you can start to look at the world and you can just see, you can see actually everybody's looking to be happy. And all the bad things that happen are actually out of that, out of a misunderstanding of what will bring true happiness. I think that's plenty for tonight about Right View. Let's sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.